the last time he and I spoke was um, a couple of days, I think, before uh, he was murdered. We were on the phone, and I was uh, sort of scolding him for not paying his cell phone bill. Um, it was a thing about Matt paying bills are like secondary to his life. That's Judy Shepard. And she's talking about her son, Matt, and the last time they ever spoke. Well, to Judy and her husband, Dennis, he's Matt. To you and probably the rest of the world, he's better known as Matthew. Matthew Shepard. And just so you know, this episode will include some intense depictions of violence. Um, so it was a, you know, it was like, you need to get your back down there and take care of this. And um, it was a, you know, it was a mom telling son what to do. At the end was, I love you, take care, be safe, um, be good, be happy. It was a crime that shocked America. 21-year-old Matthew Shepard robbed, tied to a fence, and beaten unconscious on the outskirts of Laramie. He died five days later, October 12th. Prosecutors say Shepard was targeted because he was gay. His death sparked protests from civil rights activists all across the country. I am so pissed off. I can't stop crying. A person as caring and loving as our son Matt would be overwhelmed by what this incident has done to the hearts and souls of people around the world. 20 years ago, on October 7, 1998, Matthew Shepard, a 21-year-old student at the University of Wyoming in Laramie, was found beaten, barely alive, and tethered to a wooden fence on the outskirts of his small college town. He would die from his injuries five days later at Poudre Valley Hospital in Fort Collins, Colorado. And the world would watch. Elton John even wrote the soundtrack, a song called American Triangle that likened Matthew to a deer felled on a Wyoming prairie by two coyotes. Western skies don't make it right, it went. Home of the brave don't make no sense. I've seen a wrapped in a wire Let the die on a high-rich fence I'm Erin Udell with the Fort Collins Coloradoan, and you're listening to The Way It Was, episode 21, The Murder of Matthew Shepard. Starting route to Laramie. So, you know, you come there in at, towards the end of 1998. Um, how would you describe Laramie, Wyoming at that time, especially coming from somewhere like the UK? Well, I always tell the anecdote of uh, my first, one of my first days, nights there in the evening, going down to uh, Safeway to get some food. Sorry the recording isn't really the best there, but that's Graham Baxendale. And as you can tell, He's not a Wyoming native. And I, the, the car park was deserted. And uh, I got out of the car, and uh, there was tumbleweed <laughs> blowing across the car park, literally. 
and I just stared at it because I'd never seen some void out of a John Wayne movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just stared at it and thought, yeah, I'm not in Kansas anymore type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not England. In the fall of 1998, Baxendale was a visiting lecturer from England, teaching classes in the University of Wyoming's political science department. So, but it, it was very different. I said that, it, you know, um, I like different. <laughs> Baxendale described Laramie as surprisingly diverse. In a state that's upwards of 94% white, it's actually in the second most diverse county. And with the university in town, it's the second most educated county as well. But data aside, Baxendale also called it beautiful, in a rugged, western way. He was finding a groove in the small city. He'd made friends and found a bar frequented by expats like himself. He wouldn't know it at the time, but Matthew Shepard was doing the same. After enrolling in classes just that summer, Shepard was entering his first fall semester at the University of Wyoming. His parents had both gone there, where they met as undergrads, and it was just a two and a half hour drive from his hometown of Casper, Wyoming. He felt safe there, his mom told me. He was making friends in Laramie. He had just joined a local LGBTQ group. But everything would change that October. What comes to mind for Baxendale is one particular night, October 8th, 1998. He and his friends, after bouncing around to some bars, ended up at a downtown watering hole called The Fireside. We were going to go on somewhere, and I said, well, my one of my students is uh, in charge of the bar at the fireside. Why don't we go down there? Um, so we went down there, and we spent the night, the night till quite, quite late. Um, and um, I dragged myself home, and uh, regretting the fact that it was so late because I was teaching at eight or something, eight, something in the morning. After his class, he checked his mailbox in the political science department's office. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was just a stack of um, telephone messages. And I started looking through them and it was phone um, this news outlet, phone this newspaper, phone um, CNN. Mm-hmm. And there was just Dozens of them, mm-hmm. and and I and then I got to one, and it said, "Read the incident at the fireside inn." Mm-hmm. And, and my immediate reaction was, "What the hell happened last night after I left?" Baxendale ended up getting in touch with a friend, who told him that it wasn't about what happened at the fireside last night, but the night before that. A student in Baxendale's department had been attacked. It was Matthew Shepard. As someone teaching a course on hate crimes and hate groups for the university, reporters would soon be clamoring to talk to Baxendale, asking about how this could have happened in Laramie. A mountain biker made the discovery on October 7th, 1998. While riding his bike, he fell, and looking around him, he noticed something on a nearby buck fence. 
He initially thought that it was a scarecrow, but it was Matthew. The night before, October 6th, at the fireside, Matthew had met two local men, 21-year-old roofers named Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson. They lured him out of the bar, looking to rob him. Uh, Matt was actually uh, kidnapped and robbed in the city, and then he was driven out into the county uh, behind Imperial Heights and hit in the head and face between 19 and 21 times with the butt of a 357 Magnum with a, an 8-inch barrel on it and then left there to, uh, to die. That's David O'Malley. He's the sheriff in Albany County, where Laramie is. But back in October 1998, he was actually the commander of the Laramie Police Department's detective division. And he was one of the lead investigators on Matthew's case. He sat down for an interview recently with my colleague, Seja Hindi. After McKinney beat Matthew, including three skull-crushing blows that would prove to be fatal, he and Henderson climbed back into his truck and headed toward town. All in all, they had taken an ATM card, $20, and a pair of shoes off of Matthew Shepard. The bottom line is, this was a horrible murder. And, you know, was it a hate crime? I believe it was. Eighteen hours later, eighteen hours after Henderson and McKinney had left him up there, the mountain biker rode by and ran to a nearby house to call the police. Matthew was cut off of the fence, and his injuries were so severe that he was transferred an hour south to Poudre Valley Hospital in Fort Collins, Colorado. The next day, October 8th, the news of the attack hadn't even broken in Laramie. Authorities were talking about it over a police radio. What would happen next solidified Matthew's murder as one of the most notorious hate crimes in America's history. More on that after this break. You're listening to The Way It Was, a history podcast brought to you by The Coloradoan. This month's episode is part of a project by eight Coloradoan journalists focused on the lasting mark Matthew Shepard's murder left on America. Support our work by signing up for a digital subscription today at coloradoan.com slash podcast offer. Thanks for reading and listening. I don't know how your newsroom operates, but 20 years ago was still during a time when um, the cop reporters at a newspaper or a television news station would constantly have um, the police radio on, listening to the jabber. 
much be logged off again. That'll be 1042. Thank you for your help. Have a good night. That was Coleman Cornelius. And what she's describing is still very much a reality in newsrooms across the country, including the Coloradoan. In October 1998, Cornelius was working as a Northern Colorado bureau chief for the Denver Post, meaning that if there was a big story up in Fort Collins or southern Wyoming, she was on it. A colleague of mine named Kit Miniclear was covering cops that particular morning in early October, and he caught information from um, Laramie investigators about a hate crime. And there were additional details from investigators about um, this young man whose body had been found barely alive, had been severely beaten beyond recognition, lashed to a wooden fence outside of Laramie, um, again, barely alive. So she, another reporter, and a photographer were quickly dispatched out to learn more. Since Matthew was fighting for his life in Fort Collins, Cornelius headed to Poudre Valley Hospital, where she hoped to get more information on his attack and his condition. But Matthew's parents, you see, weren't there yet. His father worked in the oil industry in Saudi Arabia, so that's where his parents were living at the time. After getting the call about Matthew, they'd started the tedious journey to Colorado, stopping in Minneapolis to pick up their younger son, who was in boarding school there at the time. Given that Matthew's parents weren't there yet, the hospital and Matthew's aunt and uncle, who were there, remained closed-lipped on any details. So I remember leaving um, that discussion with the aunt and uncle and walking across the parking lot to my car and thinking, wow, we don't, we don't have much of a story here. And that's when I spotted across the parking lot a group of maybe four or five young adults who appeared to be college students. And I thought, you know, maybe those are Matthew Shepard's friends. They were. And they talked to Cornelius. They talked about Matt, the prognosis, it wasn't good, and about his interests. And then finally, you know, I was able to ask the big question. The investigators have described this as a hate crime. What about Matthew Shepard would make this a hate crime? And that's when they explained, he's gay. Cornelius described her ethical internal debate that followed. This was an incredibly important story, but does she publish that fact? The fact that Matthew is gay? She went over it and over it with his friends. Would he want that to be clear? And they were unequivocally certain. So um, after that conversation with his friends, and, and they were willing to be on the record with their names and their comments, um, I recall getting in my car and 
dialing the cell phone <laughs> um, to my editor in Denver, and in those days, cell phones are not like your little iPhone there. They were, you know, bigger than this huge tape dispenser. They're like the size of a shoe, yeah. you know? So I was in the, in the parking lot of Poudre Valley Hospital um, with my cell phone. And I remember just like, I was just shaking, talking to my editor and just saying, this is huge. This is huge. This story is going to be national. Cornelius wrote up her story, alongside what other facts her colleagues were able to gather that day. And it went out that next morning on the front page of the Denver Post. It also went across the wires, meaning that other newspapers from around the country could pick up this story and print it in their papers. And they did. And I cannot tell you how astonishing it was to see how that story exploded. Um, It wasn't a national story. It was an international story within hours. The adage of, for the newspaper world or the news world anywhere, if it bleeds, it leads. And we understood that from the beginning. You rarely would read about what happened after. That's Judy Shepard again, Matthew's mom. And so the story sort of fades away after the initial shock of, you know, what had happened, were there arrests, did, you know, did he survive, did he not, uh, you know, those things. The follow-up you rarely find about. And if you do, it's on page 11 of whatever, not above the fold. So uh, we had absolutely no clue that this was going to be a story with any kind of um, lasting uh, importance or memory for anyone. For 20 years later, still to be sort of the touchstone for hate crimes uh, or even the awakening to the situation in the gay community was just beyond our scope of thinking then. The media coverage was so intense on Laramie and beyond. Five days after Matthew died, his funeral was held at the church he grew up attending in Casper. Onlookers, news media, and anti-gay protesters descended on the town. Cornelius described it as an apocalyptic scene. Police in Casper are bracing for a huge crowd. Barricades are up in front of St. Mark's Episcopal Church, where Shepherd worshiped while growing up. Anti-gay protesters are lining up across from the church on city park property, upsetting some local residents. I think this is rude. I think it is so disrespectful. So disrespectful to come to a young man's funeral. In a PSA more than 15 years later, Judy would say that Matthew's murder showed she and Dennis the best and the worst of humanity. The best was the correspondence that poured in, cards, letters, and emails of support and indignation. It was easily half of it was from the straight community, saying, we're so sorry for your loss, we had no idea this was going on in in relation to the LGBT community, um, because then mainstream press was all about pride parade, uh, discrimination, the AIDS pandemic, not about what was actually happening to individuals in the community. Not much talk about the discrimination um, or uh, or violence that was happening and still is happening with great regularity. I think a lot of it, too, was just like us. We were totally ignorant of the vast amount of discrimination 
with that was being、uh, dealt to the gay community. That's Dennis Shepard, Matthew's dad. We we just assumed that that Matt would just be a, a citizen with the same equal rights that his straight brother had. But Dennis notes, they still wouldn't be equal today, twenty years later. If Matthew was alive, he wouldn't have been able to get married until a few years ago. Some states, until recently, banned same-sex couples from adopting children. In 27 states, he could still be fired for being gay. In Matthew's own home state of Wyoming and four others, there's still no state-level hate crime laws. The road I took in moving forward was was to, was to try to get laws in this country that would protect the gay community that could not be changed on a whim, like what's happening right now,、um, by changing、uh, Congress or or the. Oval Office or the Supreme Court, things that are indelible forever now.、Um, the court decided on marriage; that's good to go.、Uh, don't ask, don't tell.、Mm, Trump is already challenging it. We need to find a way to make these things、uh, permanent and make and guarantee that everyone of the LGBTQI community now is on a level footing with with every other. Uh, human being in this country, but you also have to have the grassroots movement of changing hearts and minds, which now means people in the community and their friends and family allies have to continue to tell the story over and over and over, so everyone with no direct knowledge or experience with the community understands that they're just people, just people, and、um, to separate them for any reason, any reason, anybody for any reason. Is just not what America should be. One of the most notable changes, at least I think, in heart and mind, happened within Laramie's own police department. Here's David O'Malley again. Remember, he was with the police back in 1998, and now he's sheriff of Albany County, the county where Laramie is located.、Uh, quite frankly, I'll tell you the truth. Before this case. Came into all of our lives because we lived it for over a year. As I was extremely homophobic, I was mean spirited. I tell all of the stupid jokes uh, about uh, gay people, and I just was ignorant. You know, I grew up listening to the myths and the stereotypes and the stuff I heard from my friends and my dad and uncles, and and because of this. Investigation. I was forced to interact with Matt's friends, and they were gay and lesbian. And what I—it was almost like a switch flipped.、Um, it's hard for me to explain. I almost feel like a hypocrite sometimes talking about it. But in a very short period of time, I lost my ignorance. And I realized that all of the bullshit that I'd bought into for all of those years was just that. Just a few months after Matthew's murder, his parents started the Matthew Shepard Foundation. A nonprofit that offers education, outreach, and advocacy programs for the LGBTQ community. In 2009, the Shepherds were there when Barack Obama signed the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act, an act that expanded the United States federal hate crime law to include sexual orientation, gender, and disability. Matthew's killers, Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson. 
were each given two life sentences in 1999. Thanks to a push from Judy and Dennis, they were spared the death penalty. Judy and Dennis still speak on the importance of accepting others, not just tolerating them. Judy especially speaks at events and in PSAs, which Matthew would have apparently been getting a kick out of if he were still alive today. Well, he'd be laughing hysterically to see his mother out there because she's a 15 on a 10 scale introvert. And to see her out there speaking instead of him, who should have been doing it, he'd be getting a real hoot out of that. We really, we really think that what we're doing is what Matt would be doing if he were here. Here's David O'Malley again. And I remember Judy saying, I've got this small window of opportunity, a small window of opportunity to talk to as many people as I can. And she is a complete introvert. To be in front of an audience is extremely difficult for her. I've got this small window of opportunity to try to get to as many people as I can about tolerance and compassion and diversity and that we need to embrace the differences that there are between all of us because we are a melting pot. And uh, that little window is 20 years old and she's still out there every day somewhere, someplace, trying to make things better. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Way It Was, a podcast podcast. This is actually just a small piece in a larger project that we're undertaking here at the Coloradoan. For the past few months, eight Coloradoan journalists have been working on stories about Matthew, the anniversary of his murder, and the lasting impacts it's had around Wyoming, the West, and the national conversation about hate crimes. For more on that, including several stories that are already online, head to coloradoan.com. <laughs>